the biggest Taiwan arms sale under President Biden, coming in at $1.1 billion. But can Washington deliver the weapons in time? U.S. tariffs on Chinese imports will stay in place, at least for now. That's after requests from several industries. A major earthquake shaking a city in southwest China. 21 million are under lockdown orders there, some of them blocked from fleeing their buildings. And the U.K. gets a new prime minister. As one of America's closest allies, we look at her stance on China and Russia. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Washington is shoring up Taiwan's defense. The State Department approved a $1.1 billion arms sale to the island on Friday and is waiting for Congress's approval. The pending sale comes after a series of escalations in the three-way tensions between Beijing, Taiwan and the U.S. In early August, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi traveled to Taiwan, making her the highest-ranking U.S. politician to visit the island in 25 years. Soon after, Beijing responded by conducting live military drills near Taiwan. For the first time, Taiwan shut down a Chinese civilian drone that entered its airspace last week. Taiwan's premier said the drone operators ignored Taiwan's warnings to leave, so troops had no choice but to exercise self-defense and shoot. The U.S. also sailed two warships through the Taiwan Strait last weekend. Back to the arms sale package, it's the Biden administration's largest arms sale to Taiwan. It includes 60 anti-ship missiles and 100 air-to-air missiles. Sales like these sometimes take years to finalize. But the White House Senior Director for Taiwan and China said the administration tried to accelerate the process. Director Laura Rosenberger explained the administration is acutely aware of the need to expedite delivery. The U.S. can sell up to $45 billion worth of weapons to foreign allies and partners every year. It's a tool for Washington to spread American influence. The Pentagon, White House and State Department are all involved. The State Department oversees the arms sale program, but it has to get final approval from Congress. The Pentagon then carries out the logistics. The Pentagon is trying to speed up its arms sale process. It set up a special task force last month to examine inefficiencies and streamline the process. Analysts say supplying Taiwan with arms in advance is critical. That's because it'd be almost impossible to do so if a war were to break out between Beijing and Taiwan. And even after arms sales are approved, it could take four or five years for the U.S. to actually deliver the weapons. Rupert Hammond Chambers, president of the U.S.-Taiwan Business Council, is an expert that tracks U.S. arms sales. He told The Washington Post that none of the weapons approved in the Biden administration's previous sales to Taiwan have been delivered. A tiny island country in the Pacific is supporting Taiwan. The leader of Tuvalu pledged to stand firm on a commitment to lasting ties during a trip to Taiwan on Monday. Through tumultuous time, of geostrategic agendas, we continue to stand firm in our commitment to remain a lasting and loyal ally of the Republic of China. The Republic of China is Taiwan's formal name. Natano's speech comes amid heightened tensions between Taiwan and its communist neighbor. 
and as Beijing is trying to expand its influence in the Pacific region. Natano added that the cornerstones of the diplomatic ties between Tuvalu and Taiwan are the principles of democracy, trust, human rights and freedom of the individual. Tuvalu has a population of about 10,000 and is one of only 14 countries to retain diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Tuvalu is also one of the four areas in the Pacific where Beijing and Washington are tussling for influence. Tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of Chinese imports will stay in place for now. The Biden administration made the announcement Friday as it continues a review of the duties imposed by former President Donald Trump. Tariffs usually expire after four years, but the U.S. Trade Representative's office said that it received requests from companies and other interested parties to keep the tariffs, which were imposed in 2018 and 2019. A formal review of whether to keep the tariffs in place will be held, but it could take months. The Biden administration had been considering whether to remove some tariffs as a way to reduce inflation pressures. A province in southwestern China hit by a 6.8 magnitude earthquake. The quake shook a capital city 140 miles away from its epicenter. But 21 million residents there are still under COVID-19 lockdown and weren't allowed to leave their homes when the disaster hit. Here's what happened. A magnitude 6.8 earthquake struck China's southwestern Sichuan province on Monday. According to state media CCTV, the earthquake has killed at least 46 people. The quake also triggered landslides, prompting stones and soil to fall from mountainsides and causing power interruptions and damage to homes. The China Earthquake Network Center reported the quake's epicenter was about 140 miles away from the province's capital, Chengdu City. That's where 21 million residents are currently under a COVID-19 lockdown. An internet user living in the city shared about what he experienced during the earthquake. He lives in a high-rise building and explained he didn't plan on exiting his building during the quake. He added that his building manager said that even during the earthquake, fleeing the building would violate local COVID-19 rules. A video online shows a group of residents tried to get out of the building but were stopped by pandemic control workers. The workers argue that the residents couldn't leave the building even during a natural disaster. China's tech giants are buying up video game companies worldwide. Chinese tech giant NetEase announced on Wednesday that it acquired prominent video game developer Quantic Dream. The developer is behind popular games like Detroit Become Human and the upcoming game Star Wars Eclipse. Quantic Dream is a French company known for interactive storytelling games. This would be the first European developer China's NetEast owns completely. Both NetEase and fellow Chinese company Tencent are buying up and investing in game developers around the world. In the first half of 2021, Tencent completed one game-related deal every two and a half days. It now owns Riot Games, famous for League of Legends, and 40% of Fortnite developer Epic Games. NetEase is also setting up studios in the U.S. and Japan and expanding from mobile and PC gaming into console gaming. Britain's new prime minister has been decided. Liz Truss has ascended to the top of the UK's right-wing Conservative Party. And with that comes the top job in Britain's politics. She's set to take a new approach to China. Here's what you should know about her. I have a plan to make Britain a high-growth economy over the next 10 years. Who is Liz Truss, Britain's new prime minister? The Conservative politician takes over from Boris Johnson. 
after running a campaign that focuses on tax cuts, championing Brexit and a strong stance on Russia and China. So now is not the time for business as usual. Now is the time we need to do things differently. We need to be bold. Let's take a look at how she got to the top job in British politics. What's happening today? Born in 1975, Truss has not always been a conservative. Raised by left-wing parents, she was a teenage member of the centrist Liberal Democrats. As a student in Oxford, Truss switched to the Conservatives. She entered Parliament in 2010, and by 2014, she settled into her first cabinet position as a Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs under David Cameron. In the 2016 EU referendum, Truss voted in favour of Britain remaining in the bloc. But she changed her mind after her side lost, saying Brexit provided an opportunity to, quote, shake up the way things work. That means making the most of the post-Brexit opportunities. I would get all the EU laws off our statute books by the end of 2023. Truss served under Theresa May and Boris Johnson in various ministerial positions. In 2021, she was handed the top role of foreign secretary. She's become a strident critic of Russian President Vladimir Putin. And when Russia invaded Ukraine in February, she took a hard line. Now is not the time to let up. Putin must fail. We know from history that aggressors only understand one thing, and that is strength. We know that if we don't do enough now, other aggressors around the world will be emboldened. Truss has been dubbed as the new Iron Lady. She herself has long cited Margaret Thatcher as an inspiration. Even her biggest critics say her appeal is that she is dynamic and a workaholic who is across the detail of policy. I'm somebody in every job in government I've done, whether it's at the Foreign Office, whether it's at Trade, I've got things done. Some Conservatives say one of Truss's biggest weaknesses are her communication skills. One characterised her as being a bit wooden. Others in the party hope she's able to steady the ship after Boris Johnson's turbulent three years in power. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. The incoming British Prime Minister may label the Chinese Communist regime a threat to national security, but the decision won't be a simple one. Now uh, they're going to call it somewhere between an acute adversary and acute enemy um, language that uh, is absolutely anticipating hostility. Again, how do you marry that with Britain's strong economic and trade relationship with China, something that her predecessors, most particularly David Cameron and George Osborne in the middle of the last decades, were rolling out the carpet to preserve and to enhance. Liz Truss was named as the UK's new prime minister on Monday. Intensifying competition over naval power. India, Beijing's main competitor in the Indo-Pacific, is trying to catch up on its aircraft carrier fleet. And the country is celebrating a breakthrough. Here's a closer look. India is taking a step forward in its efforts to catch up with regional rival China in terms of naval power. The nation's Prime Minister Narendra Modi commissioned the first home-built aircraft carrier on Friday. It's the largest warship ever built in India. Today, India joins the countries that build such large aircraft carriers with indigenous technology. 
the ship came after 17 years of construction and tests. From offshore patrol vessels, submarines to aircraft carriers, Indian Navy's power is increasing at a rapid pace. This will further strengthen our Navy in the future. India's main regional rival is China, and Beijing is now ahead of India in terms of naval power. China has two aircraft carriers in service and launched another one last year. Now India is weighing whether to build a second homegrown carrier. Coming up, is America becoming more like communist China? A survivor of China's cultural revolution says yes. After living in the U.S. for decades, she's now running for Congress. American thought leaders host Yanni Akelek sat down with her for details. Find out what she had to say in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. America is following a path towards a cultural revolution. That's according to Lily Tang Williams, a survivor of Communist China's Cultural Revolution and now a congressional candidate for New Hampshire's 2nd District. American thought leaders host Jan Yakelik sat down with Williams to find out more. Lily Tang Williams, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Well, thank you for having me. Pleasure's mine. Lily, let's start with your early life. I mean, this is so important to me to have these stories. You actually grew up in the Cultural Revolution in China under the Chinese Communist Party. So let's start there. Well, I was born in Chengdu, um, which is the capital city of Sichuan province in southwestern China next to Tibet. And my parents were illiterate uh, workers. They worked for state factories six days a week. And uh, how primitive the living condition was people cannot imagine today. And uh, eight families all worked for my dad's state factory and shared one bathroom. <laughs> eight families with children. And my memory started struggle sessions in the public square where people black, so-called black and classes. You know, most separate people use classic Marxist theory, oppressor versus oppressed. Under oppressor, there are five black classes. Under oppressed, there are five red classes. I was red. I did not have to go to struggle sessions, but other people were black classes. They have to go to struggle sessions, be public and shamed, to denounce their families, their ancestors. And uh, some of them, I remember, looked so pale because uh, they got inside the military truck and going to get the pub public executed. And I got so scared, like, oh, really, those people are getting shot? That's what they told me. So it was very scary. My childhood memory was just like, a, it was a chaos, scary, don't understand, don't know the truth, and, but I also don't know what to think. You see some of the same trends, not exactly the same, I'm not saying that, Right, but you see some very disturbing trends that remind you of what you saw in China, what you experienced, and the, even the thought processes from what we talked about, you know, privately in the past. And so I, I want to start talking about that. Well, first of all, it took me 20 years in America to get rid of my indoctrinated mind. 
I did not come here to run for office. I did not come here to get involved with politics. I just wanted to come here for freedom, have a better life. Just everybody leave me alone, right? I learned English, I got my degree, and I met my husband first night. We dated and we got married. We raised three wonderful children. I worked for corporations, I got layoffs, and then I started my own business. So 20 years, I was busy just living like regular, typical immigrant who come here with nothing, who had to start over at the age of most 24. So I wasn't political, I even did not understand politics. But when I woke up, 2008, I noticed something, it's like a, there's something going on in America I really don't like. How come? A, Governments got really bigger, more intrusive, and, uh, and also they're using some terms, like a, a communist terms. And especially under, you know, when also Obama become president, and uh, his rhetoric is, we got to fundamentally transform America. To, to what country? I came here for America, but they want to transform it. I noticed socialist policies, and uh, like today, everybody is talking about equity, equity. How can you have equity, which is equal outcome, which I heard in China before, without the government use a force to redistribute wealth? How do they do that? Why is everybody from corporations to universities and our you know high schools and and uh, and our federal agencies, even include our military. Everybody is uh, proudly use this word, equity or DEI. Mm -hmm. But equity is in the middle. Mm -hmm. I I have been educated students as a you know victim of Communist Memorial Foundation speaker for five years. I noticed our educational system have not really taught our kids history and the horror of communism, evil of socialism, and uh, our kids don't know. Well, what's going on in this country? What are they learning in classrooms? And our teachers even don't know, life teachers even don't know about what Mao did to Chinese people. How many people died under com communism in China? They have no idea. They know a lot more about Nazis, and you know, but not much about China. And last two years, I just got even more and more terrified. I see this rise of authoritarianism. We have a politician want to be our tyrant. They want to shut you down. They want to force your business close in the name of pandemic. And then mandate, mandate the vaccine, mask, and if you don't comply, you can lose your job career. Your business is not essential. You get a fine if you want to cut people's hair. And our schools were shutting down. Churches were shut down. I thought I come here for constitutional rights of every citizen. How come they're doing this? And then I saw top-down statues, changing names of buildings and schools, and uh, burning, looting. BLM founder said, we are trained Marxist. I say people chanting in Chicago last year, the real solution is a communist revolution. You see Antifa marching with all the Soviet Union flags and they carry mouse poster, Karl Marx, big, big poster. 
I really feel like uh, I'm relieving another cultural revolution. Now to China's influence on the Middle East. Steep competition from Chinese imports is causing trouble for Yemeni businesses, which are already struggling due to a war. The issue stems from cheap grape and raisin imports. Here's more. Sharply dressed and trim, Ali Jarala is making his way through what could be a perfect scene from a pastoral painting. Rows upon rows of lush vineyards. He owns a store that sells grapes and raisins, but there's a problem. This is Yemen, which has been gripped by war for over seven years. As if that didn't make trade hard enough, he and others in his industry are also facing steep competition from cheap imported grapes and raisins, particularly from China. Here he's showing us how it's done locally. After the grapes are reaped directly from the farms, we bring them to this place to dry, which is the place where the grapes are transformed into raisins. This place is colloquially called usha. Grapes are laid the way you see here. From the reaping to the drying, the process takes 40 to 50 days. In my opinion, one of the ways that will contribute to confronting Chinese raisins is to take care of the packaging of the Yemeni product and the way of presenting the local product. Farmers and raisin sellers must abandon traditional ways of marketing and packaging. Grapes make up roughly a third of the total area for fruit cultivation here, so foreign competition is noticeable. Jarala lives in the city of Sana, which is under the control of the Houthis, who are aligned with Iran. The Houthi administration recently tried to put restrictions on the imported raisins. As for the local production, there are no accurate statistics, but every year it increases. We implemented all mechanisms and procedures to market for the local product and to try to gradually reduce the imported. Of course, we only allowed the import of quantities that cover the demand. A difficult question of supply and demand in a war-torn land. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.